I'm always starstruck whenever I see you. I am too. <laughs> Stop it. I didn't mean mirror. I mean you. <laughs> no, but uh, it's always fascinating to meet people like you who are you are yourself and you stick out in the Swedish culture. At the same. That's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard at all. Hello, Hi. there you are. Thanks for making You're La Sarah. Yes. You're La Sarah. The Sarah. She's the Sarah. So you're the future of the world. Pretty much, I hope so. India, the next 100 years, and then it's all Africa, all the way down to the bomb. Forget about the rest. Uh, it's all about Indians and Nigerians from now on, the rest of history. What? Are you saying it's not about no. Europeans anymore? Arabs no. are gone. <laughs> I think Europeans are going to be a part of... They're already a part of shaping the world and shaping Western civilization. Do you think the future is about fat, old, dying people? <laughs> Where are you from? I didn't say Americans. <laughs> you know, the Africans are the ones who breed, and yeah. the Indians are the ones who get educated right now. That means the next 100 years of world history will be totally dominated by India, mm. and after India, there'll be Africa. And China. And the Europeans no. are the really? ones benefiting no. from other invention or previous invention. The Chinese are not breeding, and the Chinese have a dictatorship. Mm. That's two bad things if you want to be successful in the future. Hmm. Africans are breeding a lot. <laughs> They're breeding a lot. I'm one of six, I know. <laughs> the, the, the Roomba and the Bamba and the Samba and everything. I love Africa. Yeah. I was born in Africa. Really? What I was part? born in South Africa. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. It's so not the real Africa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you dare say that. You know? East Africa, West Africa is the real Africa. Because like, in places like Egypt... Um, they don't like to see themselves as African. They're just Arab or like specifically Egyptians. So that's different. So, you know, when I when I meet people here who come from an African ethnic background, but were raised in Sweden and speak Swedish and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm African. And I'm like, do you want to compare our like our other mother tongue and see who can speak it more fluently? Obviously, they can't. So somebody is like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm from Uganda. And I'm like, have you been there? <laughs> have you lived there? Have you been through like no electricity weeks? That's, uh, that's South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> These days it is. Yeah. It's falling apart. Yeah. Mm. Uh, being a white South African, I come from mixed race South African family because yeah. my parents were liberals. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was just, just went out yesterday with my beautiful 20-year-old black niece. You know, she's, mm. my, she's my brother's daughter. So we couldn't live in a part of South Africa. I, I was that was impossible. And my mother, on my mother's side, they were all Swedish missionaries who went to Africa. So oh, it wow. was logical for us to go to Sweden. So I had a very positive image of Sweden from the very beginning. Like Sweden was freedom and South Africa was oppression. That's my childhood. So I have this really strong inclination to try to stay in Sweden and defend whatever liberal values this country has had. I was going to say, when you say you had a strong sense of freedom in, Swe in Sweden, that must have changed now. That's changed quite that, a lot. That has changed. Like, I just moved here about 10 months ago. And obviously, I've had to get a protected identity for several reasons. But the fact that, you know, there are places that I shouldn't dare to go just for my safety. And it was like that in London as well when I lived there. It was, uh, it was scary. It was scary when like places like Hyde Park in London, where you have Speaker's Corner, you have a lot of religious group proselytizing, and somebody was slashed there. What do you think of my strategy when it comes to Islam? We should put the Sunnis against the Shias again. 
<laughs> I think they're already against each other. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I come I from a Shia Netflix background and, and you're sushi. Yeah. I think Netflix and HBO should invest in a lot of like serious about Shia version of history and Sunni version of history. And then they can broadcast these different series across the Middle East and they'll go at each other's throats again. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And be busy with that. But I think like the Sunnis and Shia right now just see their common enemy is non-Muslims in the West. So they tend to focus more on that rather than... But that's focus. a really weak enemy. That's a fat old dying enemy. That scares me. Yeah. <laughs> you no, say it ever so casually, and I'm like, please don't say that. But I do have this is, idea that like the liberal West is going to say, fuck you. We've had enough of this. You're either going to succumb and make sure that you're going to assimilate and be a part of our liberal Western ideals, or you can't stay here. That won't happen. That, I you was just going to say, I, no. I don't think it's going There's backwards. no such liberal West to begin with. What? Yeah, that's our fantasy. There's no such liberal West. What about Sweden? Okay. When you start doing like real power studies, you know I'm a Foucauldian, so I love to study power. You know I'm a Marxist too. Um, what you do is that you try to understand how power actually organizes itself over time. And the really important question is that once you leave the tribal format, which is fine, as long as you belong to your own tribe, we're fine. As long as we build something bigger than tribe, we need police force inside, we need military protection to the outside world. So if you build nations or empires or even formats like cities, we have to organize them much better because we, we live with neighbors that are strangers. That's essentially what human beings do. So once you then start studying how power structures develop over time, you realize that the really smart guys over the last four or 5,000 years have realized that if you institute split power from the very beginning, so you have an institution that says that we should split power because if we split power, we have a more sustainable, resilient system rather than the ones that says that we should accumulate all power all the way up to the very top, which is, for example, ancient Egypt that built the pyramids and their empire only lasted six years and they never returned back to form after that. You know? And today that would be Xi Jinping in China. Mm. And that's why I'm very skeptical about the future of China. I don't think the Chinese system is very sustainable or resilient, and I think it's going to implode and fall apart from the inside. Because historically speaking, dictatorships are not long-lasting. Mm. They're short-lived, like Hitler, 11 years. You know, They're short-lived, and they usually not fall the apart when the dictator dies. Right? They what about apart. the Middle East? Yeah. You, you have a lot of internal war, rebel groups, like mm. Rwanda as well. Mm. Tanzania, right, is was going into a dictatorship until he died a year ago, thankfully. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was just people hated him and they realized this isn't working. Our own people hate us. We don't have a unified um, idea because we're getting attacks internally. In the West, you know, in Tanzania, we're like, because we're like a, the second largest foreign aid receiving country um, in Tanzania, like, their image to the outside is so much more important. So as long as everything stays inside, it's fine. But now with social media and everybody talking, it dismantles really quickly because a dictatorship then starts falling. They see, hey, this isn't working because you're not giving us our rights. And the thing is, the one thing Tanzania wasn't particularly good at and have been now is how they talk to the West. So what are those objectives that the West will support? So something like female athletes, they don't care about like child marriage, like they, they, they don't really care about it. It's, a, it's an African problem. You know, FGM, maybe, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, you can do it in tribes and whatnot, but it's not a countrywide problem. So they don't really care about it. And the West will only focus on the issues that everywhere else is popularized. But in 
countries like Tanzania were so far behind that, you know, when there is a dictatorship saying, hey, this needs to stay here, like journalists would end up in this, like, you know, under sea shorelines dead because they posted something about the president. That says a lot. And media still wouldn't pick up on it. They're like, oh, it's, it's their country, you know. It's, it's up to them. They'll, they'll figure it out. It's a concentrated power structure, but it's weak compared to China because it's not very highly developed. So beneath that is a feudal structure, which is like the countryside of Tanzania, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you, think, if you think of China, the entire society, cities, countryside, everything, are under one-man rule. And that's, at the end of the day, that's the Communist Party. And now the Communist Party in China are accumulating a huge like computer full of data about every Chinese citizen, probably about everybody on the planet. And then they're storing all this information to control everybody. They're really creating the Orwellian nightmare. That's what the Chinese are doing, literally are doing at the moment. And now they're, surprise, surprise, getting a brain drain. Because any Chinese person who can escapes China, goes somewhere else to explore whatever they want to do. We have already 80 million exiled Chinese. They're totally anti-communist. They're very successful. They've created huge amounts of wealth. And of course, they want to fight to keep Taiwan. But most of them today live in Canada, Australia, the United States. A friend of mine was telling me yesterday that he, when he's in Africa, he's a lot. He's in Africa a lot because he does. He works with um, coffee exportation, and he says to me that any street that he walks in in Africa, there's always a Chinese person walking there. Oh yeah, at least especially and Indians. Like, yeah, and yeah, Indians, yeah. It's like ten years ago, like for for me, like my background, you know, being part Indian. We've been there for like, you know, my great grandfather was born in Tanzania, my mom, Kenya. Um, but the Chinese, like 10, 15 years ago, they were they were being killed. Mm -hmm. they, they were being killed because they were there to take people's jobs. Literally, there was like a, I would say a Chinese, uh, Chinese genocide. Mm -hmm. Because they would get there, they would learn the language really quickly. You know, it's not like Swedish, Swahili is quite easy to learn. They'll pick up. So there's nothing you can escape them. You know, mm -hmm. anything you try to like rip them off or anything, they know it. They're on it. So the only way they could get forward was killing them. But I, I see this, like, if I could circle back to liberal democracy, which you have questioned. Uh, one of the main differences between Sweden and China, India, Middle East, and the rest of the world is that in Sweden, we have, or we pretend to have, freedom of speech. We have the right to criticize the government, we have the right to criticize the king, we have the right to criticize the prime minister, politicians, and we do it freely. Um, and that is go that is under threat. The, the very freedom that we have. Yeah, it's, I call it freedom of speech with a cost. Mm. So what's changing is not freedom of speech in itself. What's changing is the cost. The cost equation. It's getting costlier. Okay. And and of course, there's what we call woke culture today. The whole cancel culture phenomenon. It's it's just making it costlier to voice your f freedom of opinion, and that cost has risen dramatically in the last ten years. And this shows that there wasn't much of a liberal democracy to begin with. Um, I would say that what's unique to Western Europe was rather that commercial enterprise was its own sphere, um, and either banking with it. Then the state enterprise was its own sphere, and then religious, spiritual matters, that was its own sphere. And we had different spheres that competed with each other for attention in the system. And that's because Europe came out of decentralization. It wasn't very central. Then when the Europeans created their big global empires, which actually were trading empires to begin with, you know, Britain didn't start with... London declaring we're going to conquer the world. It, it started with British traders traveling around the world and then having these huge monopolies called East India Company, things like that, that made fortunes, you know, and made the Brits really wealthy so they could basically employ anybody they wanted as a soldier or as a farmer anywhere in the world. And that created an empire that conquered 
and, and held about a fourth of the entire global territory at its peak, the British Empire. But the British Empire was more a formality that came after the trading empire that was established. This was typical for the Europeans. The power behind it was printed language. And Napoleon knew this when he, early in the early 1800s, created the first army in the world where every soldier could read and write. This made all the difference. And really, the peak of Europe was the 19th century. In the 19th century, Europe was quickly industrialized, had enormous economic growth, and populated three further continents, all at the same time. This is probably one of the most amazing feats ever in history, the 19th century of Europe. But, of course, then we live with the consequence of that, because what happened in the 20th century is that Europe went to two world wars and basically destroyed itself. It's now completely marginalized. It's now fat, old, and dying. It's gone nihilistic and decadent and has lost its purpose. And that's the world we live in. And this is the vacuum that has created forces like Islamism, for example. Why these new forces are out there and have such prominence and, 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 and take so much space in the public discourse is simply because the European product has failed. Mm. I would say the, 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 the European project has taken a backseat because I don't see nihilism. I don't see the lack of religion as something negative as you do. I went to Jordan Peterson's show the other um, last weekend and he, 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 he's brilliant. I like Jordan Peterson. He's a fantastic speaker. But then he started talking about Islam and talking about religion and he lost me there because he said that we need religion as a society, as a civilization. Religion is important. I beg to disagree. Well, I we think do, we, but we, we don't need Islam and Christianity. I think one thing the three of us have agreed on is that we're not big fans of Islam. Mm. Listen, I've read the Quran. It's on a par with Mao's little red book in Mein Kampf. It's one of the worst fucking books ever written, to be honest. <laughs> it deserves to be burned for many reasons, although we should burn even great books. We should, we should burn all books. You know, if you have to burn a printed material, burn it. Mm. Especially Dagas Nihitari, for instance. Burn <laughs> it. But, but it, you know, I, the problem is that if you secularize society, which we try to do in Sweden, you get religion back with a vengeance. It's just called radical feminism. It's just called something else. The radical, I love classical feminism. My mother is a classical feminist, a liberal feminist. My girlfriend is a classical feminist. I, I love classical feminism. But since the 1990s, it's gone completely bizarre. We have radical feminism, which hates men and starts to hate women too, apparently, because mm -hmm. they change gender all of a sudden, you know, and right. go into surgery. I don't know what's going on. It's really freaky right now. But it's another form of, of religious extremism. Organized religion. Yeah, it's organized religion, but, and it's, it's extreme version of it, but, extremist version of but it. But can religion not be organized? How can you have I, a religion if it's I not? I think we'll always have religion. The question is which one? I guess I was going to say... Gonna win. I am a Zoroastrian myself. Right. That's a bit like being a Jew and blaming the Christians for everything <laughs> that went wrong. You know, so like, why don't you go back to the origin of Christianity, which is Judaism? I mean, I think it's totally superior. And I went back to the origin of Islam, which is Zoroastrianism, it is. which is vastly superior to Islam. You know, I just, I just tell all the Muslims, I'm more Muslim than you because <laughs> I went to the roots of what you started from. And instead of doing this fucking cheap pop shit that Muhammad sold to you. Because Muhammad, Why don't you go back and do Zoroastrianism properly? Because Muhammad plagiarized uh, both religions, Judaism and Zoroastrianism. No. And Christianity. Islam is the vulgar version of Zoroastrianism for the masses. Right. Christianity is the vulgar version for the masses of Judaism. That's mm -hmm. my. That's how I see the four religions of the Middle East. Well, how do you see? I, this I was. I was going to add, knowing Jordan Peterson and his debate with Muhammad Hijab, who I absolutely 
despise. He's not a good person. Um, he's one of those people at Speaker's Corner would make so much noise and the most dangerous people are the people around him that support him. Like people who will actively go like, yeah, I will kill in the name of Islam. So understanding Jordan Peterson's conversation with Muhammad Hijab, I can see why he's sympathetic to Islam given that he's very, I guess, very Christian as well. So I think the religion he was referring to was the Abrahamic religion of like Christianity and Islam. But I think in general, human beings are likely to navigate towards some kind of law and structure, whether you call it religion or you call it any other political idea. We are going to want to be a community like you know ex-Muslims as well we want to be a community we want to find where we belong you know we want to form that tribe we start going outside and looking and you know as we grow we identify these are not values I agree with and we start forming different ones so that we start educating and like just having this podcast like you know having these different ideas we now begin to understand what I knew before then does not apply now so I'm going to look for people that I do align with and there's very little room for discourse where you can disagree and go back. It doesn't Amen, exist. Sister. Any- <laughs> totally agree with you on this. <laughs> it, it doesn't agree. It doesn't exist anymore, especially in the world of like social media. I heard quite a bit about um, your views on like social media being decentralized. Um, and I worked in the Silicon Valley, and I work with advertising, so, so I know a bit more about like <laughs> I know a bit more about like how you know you capture people's attention. And apart from advertising. A lot of people, when they go on social media, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to put their words out there to get the most people to listen to them. And that's how we're starting to form different, I guess, different uh, groups of people that we agree with. Tribes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Different tribes. Yes. And And a tribe must have an ideology. It must have a narrative. Mm. Right. So the narrative... It's called, this is called narratology. It's a part of philosophy. Narratology means that the different types of narratives that tie people together. There's a pathical narrative, which is what you feel, like what you feel. We feel we belong together, which is a really nasty, dark force as well, because often we can lovely? only get unified by having an enemy. We, we blame somebody and scapegoat somebody. Therefore, we have a pathical narrative. The pathical narrative is there. It must be it must be understood. The other two narratives are easier to comprehend. One is a logical narrative. It's just the equation, the mathematics of everything. Everything could turn into zeros and ones. It's logical. And the third one is the mythical narrative. But the mythical narrative is the only one that can unify. So the mythos of a tribe is that the story about us. Where do we come from? Where are we going? Where are we now? And who are we compared to other tribes? And that is where people always go. They have to get that because they're tribal creatures. So you cannot have a secularized society. That's an impossibility. When you try to secularize something, you get a religion that doesn't know itself. And that's even worse than a religion that knows itself. And I think that's Jordan Peterson's point. Except that I want to argue with him and say that, listen, we're now in the 21st century. We can't have a religion that believes in the reincarnation. And we can't have a religion that believes in the afterlife and we die. But you're the one We can't to... have those religions you... any longer. They're over and done with. We are at a historical point. We have to have a religion that understands itself as a religion that's credible to us. And why I converted Zoroastrianism was obviously because of a religion that denies anything supernatural, which I think is the number one condition. By the way, it's also a religion that practices equality between the genders, and it's done so for 3,700 years. So it's a feminist so, religion. W- what do you think led to Zoroastrian being a minority? Because it is a minority religion. Because it was too complex and complicated, and that's exactly what truth is. So the Zoroastrians went off and went truth-pursuing, and that's why the origin of Sufism License or Asternism. Sufism is much older than Islam. What happened was that if you go back to the 7th century, you have 
a major plague that hits both Byzance and Ctesiphon. These are the two major cities of the West at the time. Ctesiphon is about current Baghdad, and Byzance, of course, current Istanbul. These are the two major cities of the West. The West is entirely Middle Eastern. Europe hardly exists yet. This is the 7th century. So this is Christianity and Islam later. So Christianity established itself in Byzance. It, it removed Mithraism, and Christianity took over in the 5th century in the Roman Empire. So Christianity established itself as the dominant religion. And then the alternative is Zoroastrianism, which is the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire, though, due to a massive plague that killed half its population, got really, really weak. And the weakness and internal conflicts between the Persians made a few Persians make a bet on a small new Arab sect. The Quran is written by Persians. Mm. The Persian version of the Quran is even older than the Arabic version. It's on and it's just, it's, just, it's just a cheap book. It's a bit, you know, the Quran was produced in a way that's very similar to Mein Kampf, Mao's little red book. It's just like a little boy pharaoh is illiterate, gets a little book that he can hold in his hand and claim that he's a priest. He's it, was, it wasn't even written by Muhammad. It was written 200 exactly. years later. So it was like a lot of compilation of different And the likely, the likely original author of it is a guy called Suleiman the Persian, who was yeah. very close to Muhammad. So Persians were involved. There are different theories on who of the Persians sided against the Sassanid Empire. They gambled on the Arab sect. They didn't think it would be very successful. But what happened was, of course, to Muhammad, one thing he was good at was warfare. Mm. He, was, he was one of the geniuses of warfare, on a par with Genghis Khan and Napoleon. And he conquered Stesiphon. And once he conquered Stesiphon, nothing stopped him. And suddenly Islam expanded. And this would happen. You know, half of the Persians probably sided with the Muslims. thought, okay, this is a new pop religion. Let's go with it. Let's call ourselves Muslims from now on. And eventually that becomes Shia Islam, which is more influenced by Zoroastrianism than the Sunni. And that's, of course, the Persian form of Islam today. The other ones stayed with Zoroastrianism. They became a minority religion in Persia and many migrated to India eventually. And that's how I got in contact with them because the Parsis of India are the most successful ethnic group in the world when it comes to average education, average wealth, and average income. When did this migration the sec- happen? The- that's happened in the, in the 9th and the 10th centuries. Okay. And that's why you find the Parsis usually in Gujarat and Mumbai, Western India. And now they're like, they're like the Jews of India today. Sounds like my background. Yes, you might have <laughs> it in you. Because it Freddie, like Mercury, Freddie Mercury was born yeah. a Parsi yeah. on Zanzibar. Yeah, so he my, was literally born in Tanzania as a Parsi. Exactly. So my grandparents are from Zanzibar as well. And then given the ancestry test going like Afghanistan, Persia. You're going to go with me to Mumbai <laughs> and you're going to go to the... I can't. You're going to with me to go to the temple with me and then you're gonna find out whether you're a Sorastia or not in your really but yes. but I can't I can't go to India because as much as I have Muslims who hate me I have equally enough Hindus who hate me really yeah I, I have, uh, have I, I, I think the worst I've gotten is deep porn images uh, like faked like photoshopped uh, by Hindus because I just because I'm like if you're going to blaspheme against Islam I'm allowed to blaspheme against everything else mm. if you're gonna give it you're gonna take it you know, you can't like you can't offend me, and, and that's why you can't just isolate Christianity and Islam as two devilish religions, because religion as a concept, as it is, is bound to isolate and exclude people who no. don't agree with it. No, how not? Not at all. Um, you're missing the point entirely. I th- I don't think the guy hanging on the cross was the most important thing during antiquity. Mm. I think the big event during antiquity was Cyrus the Great's conquest of Babylon, 539 before Christ. So go to the year 539 before Christ. What has happened in the Middle East is that the Phoenicians and the Hebrews invented new alphabet, which is a whole new way of communicating. And the Phoenicians have conquered the Mediterranean. They're already on the Western African coast. You know, uh, The Hebrews also are becoming really prominent and successful. But what happens in 539 is that Babylon, the biggest city in the world, is being conquered by the Persians. And Cyrus the Great shocks everybody. 
He's the first conqueror ever in history who doesn't boil his enemies' children in oil. He keeps his enemies. He tells them to stay. He tells them to work with him within his empire, keep Babylon as it is, and he basically yells at them for not practicing the religion properly. Mm. So he tells them, you should redecorate your temple of Marduk, and he goes to the temple of Marduk, the Babylonian's god, and kisses the feet of Marduk. I think Cyrus the Great kissing the feet of Marduk is the most radical act ever done by anybody. Wow. And it changes history forever because he says that there are many religions in my empire. Mm. So Rastanism is for me, it's for the elite, true, it's mm. built that way, it's built as an imperial order, mm. but it accepts that people can have any religion they like. This is the foundation for universal human rights. Universal human rights was invented by the Persians in contact by the Babylonians 539 before Christ. This is the most radical event in the history of ideology. Mm. And after that he sponsors the Jews, a small Egyptian sect that he finds in Babylon. They're spread all over the Levant. And he sponsors them to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, the second temple, which is entirely sponsored by Persian money. Mm. The Zoroastrians finance the Jews, another religion, to build their temple. Mm. This is what democracy is. This, you create a system where you have different layers of the system, and once you have different layers of power in the system and recognize that, you will also have different ideologies that actually operate on different levels and are needed on different levels. But why That's are what they the needed? Persians found out. Why are they needed? Be because we go stupid. Okay, the alternative is to have a Xi Jinping at the top. But if we say we're all completely dependent on a small fucking boy pharaoh sitting at the top, and his limited intelligence limits all of us. Right. And then suddenly, when he makes a major mistake, we all die. But we need. We have Hitler. You know, we gotta avoid the tyrant. The mm. tyrant make it. No, I'm not moralizing against the tyrant. I'm just saying it's a very uns unstable and unresilient system. To have a resilient system that works over time, you gotta have power splitting installed. And the first thing you need to do is to split male power. Mm -hmm. You split the priest and the chief. And then at least women, they can have one ruler because then they can have the matriarch. Mm -hmm. The matriarch is always the supreme court in any system. It's always the voice in the system that says, I hold you responsible for delivering on the protection and provision. Unless you deliver on what you promised, you're not going to fuck my daughters. Mm -hmm. That's essentially how sexuality works in any system. And that is the matriarchal power that is always in a functioning society. And good religion is built on this. Mm -hmm. For example, when the Jews left Egypt, and walked to the promised land, there were three siblings. Mm. There was Aaron, the chief, there was Moses, the priest, and there was Miriam, the older sister, the matriarch. Mm. That's how all these triads are operating. Right. And, and, and that's what religion fundamentally is, and you cannot secularize society and say you're going to keep a liberal democracy, because liberal democracy is then built on absolutely nothing. But I do think that when... As I, as an ex-Muslim, when I hear someone say secularize, I do not see stripping away uh, any kind of hierarchy and system and organization in society. I believe that a society needs mindfulness. They need uh, spirituality. I believe in spirituality. Spirituality is very important. The, the, the need of coming together and being a community and gathering together and having a self of purpose is really important because then you skip patriarchy you skip nationalism you skip these crazy ideas because you have people who think people who are in harmony together when you don't have that then you can lead then pe can pe people can run away to radical feminism radical nationalism and etc yeah, but you just pointed out that we need a narrative but what's the fucking narrative then where is it you can't have a society education, without a narrative education on that's not a narrative ethics no that's not a narrative isn't ethics, ethics is not a narrative how is it not no, ethics is just a consequence of the values of the paradigm you live in. 
So when it comes to ethical values over time, they're all paradigmatic. So if we change the way we communicate in society, we'll change our values accordingly. But other than that, it's just that some people are successful in our power, other people are less successful, and then maybe you struggle over if you can redistribute the success or not. That's all the system ever does. Values are nothing else beside that. And the only thing that changes over time besides loving your family, loving your clan, loving your tribe, you know, work for something bigger than yourself. These are values, are timeless values. Mm. They're not ethical values, these are timeless values. They, they, they're self-referring, that's what they are. Mm. What, the only thing that changed over time are the pragmatic values, like we've introduced the internet now and thrown that into the mix. And that will have to create new values, like how do you behave online? Because mm. we never had online before. Mm. Those are the only new values in history. Ethics is not a narrative. But don't you think that we can transcend beyond religion into moving onto the internet world? You, you, uh, listen, moving no, past, no, no, yeah. you, what, my point is this. You've laid out the need for the narrative. You avoid the really serious question. What is the narrative? What is Sweden in 2030, according to you? What is the narrative? What keeps Swedes together? You gotta answer that question, otherwise you're not serious. Then you're just a trickster sitting on the side, yelling at things, questioning things, you know, making mockery of power. That's okay. But then you're nothing but a trickster. Mm. If you want to be real ideologist, mm. or if you want to take ideology, which is political or religion, seriously, you got to move into the center of things and start making up a story that makes sense. And what do you think that narrative should be then? The narrative in this case should be here, is that we're now post-Christian, and we should go back further to the roots. I think the Christianity. The, Have no, you read no, the, wait, the wait, Old no, Testament? Christianity is dead. It's over. It's dead. Islam is bigger than Christianity in Sweden today. So you're saying we should get this no, on the Islam train? No, no. We need to go into reformed form of paganism. We need to go back what essentially was Scandinavia to begin with. Where does the Scandinavian language come from? Like, where does Swedish come from? What makes us distinctly different from other cultures? Can we both be English speaking and have a global language at the same time as Swedish as a local language? We can go to Quebec and Canada and learn how to do that. That's the narrative the Swedes have to make up now. And that's exactly what we talk about citizenship again, why that's a serious debate. What qualifies you for a Swedish citizenship, for example? We can't just give it away to anybody because then it has no value. Well, that's a religious matter then. Mm. What does it mean to be Swedish citizens? It's a deeply religious so then matter. The narrative should be Swedish citizenship. <laughs> I, I guess for me, I don't think it's more about going back, but it's more about moving forward. And the next thing forward will always be up for debate. It'll be made up of different values. It'll be made up of different structures as well. The internet being one, it's a, it's a big part, but kind of like a small part of what makes us be together in a community in person, especially like, you know, COVID was a different time. But I think for me, it's more religion had a time and place. Any religion, you know, it came at a, it came at a cost. It had a time and place. And now many people have outgrown it. Many people no, have outgrown they it. They, they're more religious than ever. They become I, radical I mean, feminists is what he means. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess the... Values, they're willing to die for another. They're just deeply religious. I, I would say we have at least four forms of fundamentalism Radical feminism is another one. Climate hysteria is certainly the third one. It's nothing to do with environmentalism any longer. I mean, Greta Thunberg is not going to defend the Sami against... So they become reindeer breeders forever. You know, it's just gone completely berserk. It's, and the fourth one is actually anti-racist racism, which is another form of fundamentalism we have now. So we, so we have at least four and different three, fundamentalisms. And, they're all religious. And three of they're them, nothing but religious. And three you know? of them fall under the same umbrella, actually. <laughs> the last three, 
they are within the same group. It's kind of like Sunnis, Shias, and then the third. You'd be surprised to find out the radical feminists are going to end up in bed with Islamists very soon. Oh, they already are. Radical feminism in Sweden is going to end up with, can I please wear the burqa because it's the most progressive thing I ever Uh, did? No, this has already happened. When I see feminists going out there and going like, oh yeah, we're for women's rights, and I'm like, really? And then the same news media goes to Iran and wears hijab, and you kind of slap all other Iranian women who don't want to wear that hijab in their faces. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to wear it because it's cool. And then you have a try a world hijab there where you're like, try a hijab. And I'm like, oh my God, this is nice. Why are people being racist about it? I'm like, that's not the point. That's this not the really point of hijab. It, it is. But it's, 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 it's a different, I guess the radical feminist. It's equally absurd. It is. The ra- all, I feel like all radical ideas are equally absurd and there has to be a central balance point. And in my opinion, I am like, as atheist as it gets, you know, being born very religious, Shia, and then, you know, coming out and kind of going like agnostic. And now I'm like, I just don't have that connection. But at the same time, when I talk to people who are like me or different, I find that we have quite a bit in common in terms of like, would you kill this? Not would you kill this person? Like, would you do A or B? you'd realize that we we have different ideas of what rad led to our rationality there. doesn't necessarily have to be religion. Mm. You know, some people do hold on to that religion because of many other reasons. Right. And I do think, like, one point is, that, that, which is a brilliant point that you're making, which is, like, people, if you take away religion from a society or from people, they're going to latch on other ideologies. Absolutely. And they become religions and they view them very aggressively like i've had conversations with anti anti anti-racist racists and environmentalists and feminists who sound even more radical than islamists i'll teach you two swedish words here yeah Uh, it's it's like think of a little cheap wooden building full of puritan christians who think that jesus is going to come back in two weeks or something like that and they want to missionize and the missionaries like mad right sweden was full of these in the 19th century the other one is like it's a house of sobriety you know it's, it's like a house where you never drink a single drop of alcohol ever because if you drink alcohol the devil will just possess you right but do they believe and sweden in devil? was full of these too but do they believe in devils or just like rationally believe that the alcohol is bad no it's not rational nothing is rational about such beliefs mm. oh, come on it's not rational at all none of it is you can drink alcohol and you're not gonna die right okay. but they thought you would right sweden was full of these places in the 19th century they're the equivalent of islamism today you know islam is just a hundred years behind or so but it's very similar to here then they disappeared in the 20th century and we were sort of we were over them then we became dependent on the welfare state mm-hmm. and we can't socialize in Sweden without the welfare state even paying for it because we're not seeing anybody unless we get, you know, a bidrag from the state, right? Yeah. So we're completely, you know, decadent now and we become <laughs> dependent on the big tit, which is the big state that feeds us all. So we're all little children. Of course, then we're missing the Michunsus and we're missing the Nykterhetslars mm-hmm. madly in this country. That's exactly what radical feminism and climate hysteria are. They're exactly the same thing, mostly driven by women and these women are hysterical, and we must save the world now, and because I'm more morally righteous than you, I'm superior to you because I'm fucking Greta Thunberg, I don't need to go to school because I'm a sacred person, I'm a holy person, I have all the knowledge in the world just by being me, right? Greta Thunberg is this. Oh, man, and, and, that's... And this is what the radical feminist in Sweden, that's why it's so strong here in Sweden, because people here are missing their old churches so much that the same religion has returned with a vengeance just with a different costume. Mm. And the costume this time is called feminism and climate. It, it's just it's just completely contingent what they pick, but this is what they're after. Mm. I was just going to say, when you talked about Greta Thunberg, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce her name, but I was like, that's privilege when you go like, oh, I don't have to go to school. And I'm like, oh, we never had that. You had to go to school. 
you had to work. And you should get a you sex life too, Greta. Really, <laughs> seriously, you're a grown-up woman now. Uh, this is How old this is, is she? Scary. Yeah. This is eerie. This is eerie. She was yeah. 16 when she first came out with her stuff, oh, okay. and now she's 18, I think, turning 19. But I, I, I do think that we can transcend beyond religion. No. Yes, we can. How? Absolutely. Can, uh, can we look, can we clarify when we say religion? You and I are talking about. Um, Superstition, no, I mean superstitious like organized religion, but I also mean radical. No, no, no. Superstition has nothing to do with religion at all. God has nothing to do with religion at all. Religare is a French Latin word meaning what connects people. Mm. So it's the story that connects people in a society. Mm. I'm a Zoroastrian. We don't believe in any God whatsoever that's similar to Christianity. We believe in connecting people. We believe in connecting people, yes. In a community that works, it's called the Anjuman. Mm. And we believe in being, Aura. Mm. And we believe in mind, Master. Mm. And we side with mind. And we want to explore and expand mind in the world we live in. Mm. That's a religion that without anything supernatural, the divine is within us. There's no external God. There cannot be a God who created the world or anything like that at all. That's Abrahamic bullshit. And that's dualism. You can't find that. Buddhists also do not have a God. So you can't say religion and God are the same thing. That's, mm-hmm. just, that's just not understanding the world. But I would say this. To Zara's defense, yes, what you're defending is something that I call cosmopolitanism. And the thing with cosmopolitanism, the place where you can have that as a dominant narrative today are places like Dubai and Singapore. Why? Because Dubai and Singapore are completely urban environments and everybody just moved there. So there is no history. You have to make up a history for people to move there, right? Because the problem with Sweden is that Sweden does have a history. Sweden's history goes back several thousand years. Sweden was pagan long before it became Christian and it was very superficially Christian, to be honest about it. And and, and I think think there's something there. That's what I'm talking about, the past first. I want to have people be very, very secure about their past because only a person who feels secure about their past and their identity will then embrace freedom and tolerance when, when, they, when they look into the future. You have to be conservative about the past to be able to be liberal about the future. Right, but when you say that Sweden was superf- superficially Christian, that is a very important point because I do believe that Swedens have always been quote-unquote secular in some sense they have always no pagan pagan right but pagan you remember me too in sweden <laughs> yeah. how it got here right oh swedes love lynch mobs that's true they love the so pagan they I, love I, lynch mobs but they, they love organizing what, themselves which was what i was referring to when you talked about when you saw sweden as being freedom and then i come here and I'm like, this is not what I imagined it to be. Wow. I, I feel like a lot of people that I've spoken to are quite rational and they'll have one-on-one chats with me. But when it comes to the political ideas, nobody's going to have a word about it. You know, like the Quran burning, the police being hit. They're like, yeah, we're, you know, this is where our tax money is going. We're not happy with it. And I'm like, would you voice it? No. You'll have lynch mobs hurting you. You know, when you have the the radical left, I, I guess a regressive left in my case, when they're like, oh, we're for women's rights, whatnot. Or we're like, you know, BLM. And I'm like, hashtag BLM. And I'm like, there is an entire continent of people that don't have water, that don't have food. And this is not a myth, guys. I've been there. Like, I've visited those villages. I've lived through that. I, I was very privileged, yes. But there's like this entire continent and you're spending all this money to buy, what was it, a mansion? 
a yeah. mansion yeah the blm organization uh, organizers completely but a mansion, corrupt exactly and, and then and it was obvious from day one the, mm. the worst part is that because of those narratives they tend to victimize people who don't even fit into that mm. so it's being like being a woman a, a person of color you're like you're automatically a result you're automatically degraded because of patriarchy and i'm like hang on i live in sweden i work in tech you know, I, I had my education paid for. I don't have any student debts, right? I mean, like, yes, I had to work hard. So how? Tell me how. Like, I still earn. Are we so setting how? up for the next Tinder date? What's going on? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, we I don't was, mind. <laughs> we don't mind. We love to be our counselors. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, how? Like, how are you just putting this narrative off me because I look like a certain type? You're also victimizing people that you know, th that have actively refused. You know, you've put people into buckets. Anti-racists are actually the biggest racists as yes. well. And mm. nobody wants to admit it. But, you know, there are some people who are bought onto this idea that I'm anti-racist. How about we just, how about we just remove race from it? Like, what yeah, if exactly. we were in a Race does not exist. I was like, period. what if we were in a colorblind, period. like, mm. race-blind society and we just treated people as they treated us? We just spent different so amounts of time in the sun. That's all there's to But I do I think mean, it's easier to argue against against anti-racism uh, anti racist, it's easier to argue against anti-environmentalist and <clears throat> radical feminists because there's so much data to, to prove that they're wrong. You can just look at Sweden. Sweden is a prime example of how these people have just ruined the country. But when it comes to organized religion, especially Islam, because I think the, the Christianity has been defeated for a very long time, and it's also backed by the... Uh, Evolution theory, Big Bang theory, all of these scientific advances that have said, wait, wait, the Bible has been wrong all along. But when you look at the Quran, almost 2 billion people believe that these are sacred words that came directly from the mouth of Allah. Good luck defeating that with logic and, and, and common sense. And if you sense. do, you're no, racist. No, you can't. You can't, you, you can't defeat it with logic. You, can't. you have to use all three narratives. That's my point. Mm. You have to be both a mythical narrative that replaces Islam. You have to have a logical narrative which is beating their arguments. Just like, no, there's no life after death and you just sent your children out to be killed. They're killed forever. They will not go any to any heaven anywhere. Bullshit. Right? That's a logical narrative. There's also the pathical narrative. That's the whole passion of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go to the very roots of what motivates people to become Muslim in the first place and then stay Muslim. Mm -hmm. You have to go to the very roots of those things. And you have to basically tell them, either you reform the fucking religion updated 21st century, off you go. Mm. Right? The, the, that, that's what has to be done. But you're saying I pretty much that someone comes in with a sword and I have to come down with a sword to be able to fight them while I'm saying no we're advanced enough to lay back get a machine gun and shoot them and I, I'm not I'm not propagating for violence here I'm just saying that the battlefield does not have to be you don't have to go down and use the same mechanisms in order to defeat them true but what is the first lesson in strategy what is it you turn off the energy for the enemy mm. So when, when Hitler was defeated in 1940, which is exactly why he started the concentration camps, because everybody was starving in Germany, the Allies had made sure, Stalin especially, by burning all the, all the earth that Hitler conquered, they made sure that there was no food and no oil. If you don't have oil, you can't have gasoline into the tanks, and you have no food, people start starving, and then they go after each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Hitler knew already in 1940, it looked like he conquered the world, but he was actually about to lose the war. That's what you do when you try to fight somebody. And in this case, since this is an ideological war about Islam, right? Mm. The Muslims have two alternatives. Either you become civilized and call it reformed Islam, mm. or off you go, right? Those are the only two alternatives. We cannot have medieval Islam in our surroundings. It won't work. 
But it won't work. It will lead to absolute civil war. But you can always point out to them that you could actually pull the rug from underneath. And that's mm-hmm. basically removing the arguments for political Islam, removing the arguments for religious Islam, and removing the arguments for Islam, having an opinion about other people's, people's lives to begin right. with. Like I always point out to the Swedes. Mm-hmm. Why should the Quran be a sacred book for me who's a non-Muslim? Answer that question. It shouldn't. That's a good question. It shouldn't. Can, can of I, course it isn't. Can, can I make the plot thicken a bit? Can I show you just a two-minute clip that might add something into the mix? Have you seen this? This land is mine? Uh-huh. All right. I think you're going to enjoy it. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave and ancient land to me So the video goes on for three minutes and it's different civilizations killing each other and the main point, the main fight, and each each character represents an entire civilization. And uh, the Jews go back and forth and go, go back and the Arabs come. At, and uh, there's also a graph that shows what which each character represents. And I do think that what, what we do miss is that there, the... When you combine ethnicity and a religion, there will always be this demand for a land, that this land is mine and God gave it to me. And it can be anything. Like I think it's the other way around. You think? I'm a Marxist here. <laughs> I've just is the car mark. No. Uh, if you're successful mm. and you've got a permanent population, it will grow. Right. And soon there will be too many people and you will start starving and then you have to conquer other territories to keep a large population. Right. And that's deeply tribal. So you go and kill the other tribe. So your tribe becomes successful, your tribe splits into two. That means you need to kill another tribe to take its territory. Mm-hmm. So I think fundamentally, conflicts are territorial. And they're about resources. Yep. That's what they are. And then we make up ethnicities and religions and ideologies and other excuses for doing the things we do. But actually, it's only until modern times, the last 400 years, we've really gone into ideology as a weapon that we try to use against others. And we accept that maybe people can even change sides if you just switch ideology. Mm. So um, that's quite recent, historically speaking. I would say, no, conflict is territorial and probably but, inevitable because isn't people, recent- are, people are moving around. And, and mm. okay. In contrast to this video, the other side of the story, the slightly nicer side of the story, is that we intermarry. Mm. So what happens is that most of the time, historically, the men have gone out to war, and then they've gone and killed people in the next village, and they killed the fathers and the brothers, but they keep the women. Mm. And then they marry the women. 
and then they include the women and the children that those women give birth to into the new tribe. And that's an expanded territory. And that's essentially how nations and empires eventually are built historically. You basically conquer your neighbors and you kill all the men among your neighbors and then you keep the women and therefore you, you expand your territory. Which the Vikings were very successful at at some point as well. They were, but they were only plunderers because they didn't have the printing press yet. Mm. So it was the printing press that really changed the game entirely. Before the printing press, the only empires that existed had a very, very, very thin set of rules at the top with the court language. Mm -hmm. So the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Chinese Empires had a court language for a small elite and they basically left everything further down the system trickling down to be independent. The Mongol Empire was actually the most powerful and the most popular, ironically. They were horrible when they conquered. The Mongols were ruthless. But once they were installed in power, they stayed for 200 years and they only took a 5% tax and basically run a libertarian empire. Mm. It was incredibly powerful and popular. And the Mongols weren't stopped by an enemy. They were stopped by the plague. Mm. It was the plague that killed the Mongols eventually. But if you look at the empires prior to the printing press, they were very, very thin imperial orders with some infrastructure like roads and trades and a few coins that, mm. that they shared. But everything else was deeply local. And they were local landlords, feudal landlords who ruled everything. With the printing press, this changes because now we can teach tons of people to read and write. And soon they start expressing themselves through reading and writing. And that's when we get the Enlightenment in Europe, hmm. the 17th century. And that's only because so many people can express themselves through reading and writing and, and counting. And therefore you can create modern industry, capitalism, eventually a more efficient form of nationalism. Nationalism was invented by the Jews, but then became a Christian European project, you know? Hmm. And then those ideas were transferred around the world with the printing press. Mm. Now the internet's arrived and everything is up in the air again. Mm. And the Europeans are no longer the center of anything, not even the Americans. And now AI is coming along as well. And the internet world is where we're moving into now. And that's exactly where the most successful place in the world right now are places that uh, Sarah promotes, which is like Dubai and Singapore. The problem is that not the whole world is Dubai and Singapore. Mm. Most of it is large farmlands, rural communities. They might sh at least share a common language that they agree with, that they can all read. Mm. And if they can do so, they can have a newspaper in the morning or a website they go to. Right. And we need to give them a story or a religion that works for them in this age. Mm. But what, isn't spirituality er, enough, of a, enough of a religion, like transcendental meditation or normal meditation or mindfulness? You could have some kind of form of spiritual upholding something that brings people together makes them think deeply contemplate because that's what lacks no because people, people you're, don't, no no you're just talking about techniques here you're not talking about narratives mm. transcendental meditation is technique you cannot remove transcendental meditation from buddhism and then th treat it as a technique a lot of people try to do it it's like i can do meditation at the gym after i done the gym well gonna make you incredibly frustrated there's no point to it because it's not connecting with the narrative so what is the narrative how can we be the new sweden mm. How can we be the faces of the new Sweden? How but, can we inspire people to be Swedish We again? just said that. And the, what does that mean? Citizenship. Yes, yeah, citizenship, but again, it's a technique. It's not, it's not the narrative. What is the actual narrative? It's not, it's not here. The language? But we have to build it. No, the, that's the tool for the narrative. Mm. What would you define the narrative to be? The history of Sweden, where Sweden came from, it was cold, had a warm period, it had the Vikings running all over the place, it had a brief superpower period, and then the Russians fought us back in the 17th century, that's the history of Sweden. We were pagan, we had many different gods, we could have reformed paganism, but we didn't. And finally, uh, what's Begin called a woman and child religion called Christianity came along, and we nominally accepted Christianity. Then we threw out the Catholic Church with Gustav Vasa. 
So we were the first properly Protestant country in Europe, meaning that we basically didn't give a shit about Christianity any longer. Mm. But Christianity came back with a vengeance as like religious extremism. We had our own period of religious fundamentalism in, in Sweden in the 19th century. Luckily enough, we fooled most of those bastards over to America where they became American Protestant Christians. Exactly. Uh, so we became secular in Sweden. Instead, we went big on political ideology. The problem is because we don't recognize political ideology as a religion, although it is, means that political ideology has now infiltrated everything. Every fucking corporation is political ideological now. You know, it is just everywhere because we're not recognizing that this has become the religion of Sweden. Mm. And we're now putting radical feminism against Islam. It's not very inspiring, is it? <laughs> we need better. <laughs> we need Lazara. We need Zaraism. <laughs> we, we need cosmopolitanism. But we need more. Than, I think we need cosmopolitanism like Stockholm could be an English-speaking and Swedish-speaking world-class city. But Stockholm would then be the capital of a country called Sweden, where Swedes must be proud of being Swedish. Mm. And they must be integrated. Mm. We can't have the society we're building right now, which is basically just throwing out people in segregated suburbs with tons and tons of violence. Everywhere. So I, I, think, I think I know what the narrative is, or it's always been in the back of my head, but I didn't really think about it. It's Swedishism or sw being Swedish. And not in a nationalistic or like ethno-nationalistic exclusionary way, but like what we live in coexist in, what we cont contribute to, what we, uh, the language that we speak, the, 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 the land that we live on and et cetera. I think that should be the main yeah, point. Yeah, I think you're what absolutely spot on because after the printing press arrived, language became the common factor, yeah. the, the common denominator. And what's great about language is we can skip race and ethnicity and we can tolerate different religions and beliefs as long as we speak the same language. And then we can look at systems of power splitting in the past. It's like If we speak the same language, if we're all like one court, so we all speak the same language in Sweden. We express ourselves in the Swedish language. Then can we have many different ideologies of religions in the Swedish language. And that's, for example, what Islam must accept. And we cannot have a fucking feminist state ideology. It's ridiculous, mm. you know? I absolutely agree. I'm just going to say, I, I feel like with the narrative, does it have to be the past that we need to go through? Or can it be based on the future, given our learnings, our failures? Right now, we've kind of, I feel when I say we, if I'm not Swedish, but like in Sweden, we've been open to every other idea because we don't want to offend other people. We don't want to counter it because we're not ready. But I think there is a growing minority that is ready to counter it. There is ready to kind of bring a more central and neutral position to it. What it's based on is multiple different things. I, I don't think a lot of it is based on religion as such or paganism as such, but I think a lot of I guess language is one thing. Obviously, I feel like one of the countries... I've lived in like five different countries now. So I think one of the reasons where I feel the need to integrate in Sweden specifically than any other country I've lived on is the language. But I, I don't think that's the only factor. I feel like learning a new language or learning a language is really hard. At the same time, what you contribute to the country can be outside the languages it can be a, a form of communication if everybody speaks english for instance or any other language i think you can still bring a lot more to the country and like i think when you're very 
I guess not defensive, but when you're passionate about growing that country and that country's future, that could be one part or the tool that creates that narrative, mm-hmm. not necessarily language, because like I feel a bit left out. No, yeah, but, but I, I, yeah, I know, but this is like, you are left out because you don't speak Swedish. Exactly. That's the yeah, exactly. Oh, you're the biggest star ever who doesn't speak Swedish. Ever, <laughs> ever, I guarantee. If anybody be allowed not to speak Swedish in the room and still be a Swede, it would be. <laughs> but if you go to Quebec, you got the reversed order of things because Quebec has gone through a transformation where they actually started appreciating the that they were the only French-speaking people in North America. And they went for more French, and more French, and even more French. But as soon as a person enters the room in Montreal, who doesn't speak French, they switch to English, and then back to French. Swedes do exactly the same thing these days. Mm. But you're not Quebecois, unless you speak French. You're Canadian. I think the Swedes are ready to accept you can be European, if you speak English only, and live in Europe, in Sweden. But to be Swedish, you must speak the Swedish language. But you would be an Australian, though. But, but then at the same time... What about people who do speak the language, but don't ha- aren't contributing to the growth of the country? So you will have a lot of immigrants here from all parts of the world and do not want to grow Sweden as a country for the positive purpose or the optimistic outcome for most people. Listen, every country has assholes. <laughs> we will have assholes too. But, you know, the, the, the narrative we're talking about here is that we speak the Swedish language and that unifies the Swedes. Why else would Sweden be independent? Why wouldn't it just become an American or British colony if you stopped speaking Swedish? Look, I, I think I'm challenging Swedes a lot, but I think Stockholm should go first and accept we have two official languages in the city and they're Swedish and, and Arabic. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 wait. We'll keep that it's one coming, open up. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Apparently it's coming. But it's, no. it's here. It is coming. No, no, I do I do find it incredibly surprising because I work with asylum cases, not not as much in Sweden, very few. But like around the world, I work with women who are ex-Muslims or rape victims in like Saudi and whatnot. So I've seen like both sides of it, right? When a when a person needs another country because they can't be in their own country. And these are vulnerable women mostly, but who actually need a safe place because they're persecuted because they hold radically or even very a bit different ideas than what that state that religious state would want them to and then they go to a country smart girls smart people go to that country cannot speak the language and no, but that's okay hard. protecting is, refugees is yeah, something yeah. we should do but, right? but then those refugees that's a bit of are a controversial to, opinion say, those <laughs> refugees are going to become part of the future generations and what we would like to have is the integration part language can be one but it is hard to learn a language what else can we put in the mix right i can think we find language another is going to be it, it has to be it, it has to be it's got to be at the forefront because that's the narrative yeah what but else i think there's is the narrative but and the swedes are the ones who dictate the narrative I, and still i think the majority and i think all. we say language what we what we really mean what the narrative is is culture but the language is what carries yeah. the culture this, I, I, this is my think, point okay can we agree on one thing can we agree on one thing i love dubai and singapore and i give classes on why these communities are successful right mm-hmm. But like I said, Dubai and Singapore are successful because they're one, totally urban mm. and very digitally savvy, of mm. course. They have huge international airports mm. and they're new. Nobody lived there 50 years ago. Mm. So then you can be anything. Like you don't have to, you don't have to go, by, go back and recycle your past all the time to have an identity. Mm. But Sweden is a country. This is different. And of 10 million people in this country, at least 7 or 8 million feel like they're Swedes. And they need to define what that means. And that is a concept that everybody who lives here permanently has to be integrated in. Otherwise, the country will fall apart. It's already falling apart. 
undoubtedly falling apart. And people are still voting for the very politicians who got us into this mess. It's kind of weird. The Swedes haven't realized that they should throw out the system because and replace it with something that's more Swedish. I think right? it's cause, mainly because they're religious and not radical uh, feminism, not environmentalism, or, I mean, all of those come a part of the, the different sectarianism within Sweden. But the main religion or the god is the state. And it's a state that dictates. It's a state that says that it's a feminist state. It's a state that uh, promotes environmentalism. It's a state that, you know, fights racism or so-called racism in every way. It's incredibly Protestant Christian goodness state. Yeah. Yeah. Very religious. But yeah. I think it's so ironic that they have different standards for different groups of people in Sweden, regardless of like, you know, being environmental friendly feminist. And then when it comes to like a different or selective group those rules don't apply suddenly because we don't want to like i keep bringing this up because i feel like we've failed to do that we've failed to apply the same standards to everybody i know the next explosive political issue in sweden or exactly what it's going to be what is it going to be busing the kids between the schools yep. it's just set to explode the next year because all of us are sick and tired of privileged people who live in you know wealthy urban environments who think that we should open up the borders to anybody in who couldn't care fuck about integration who just completely deny the violence that's going on and the gang crime and all that those very people should have their kids now sent to the schools in those environments and the people who live in those environments and are exposed to it every day should have their kids put into the most luxurious high class upper class schools you could imagine but that, what that, that's the only way to expose the fraud in mm. Sweden today but what about the nationals who say that i will never send my children to any of these areas because they're not my problem they're not the, this is not the issue that i have voted for how are you going to convince those nationals to send their children to these areas i think we should start the busing with those very territories with the <laughs> party at live you know <laughs> where do the environmentalists go after their kids now next i mean okay you're <laughs> no. the guy so on the border you know but is it let's the, bus your kids because since sweden is great everywhere and yeah. since all schools are so fucking fantastic because of you and you were in government let's send your kids to the very schools that the other kids don't want to go to let's mm -hmm. send your kids there i think that's next because we need to expose the fraud because you're right you are totally isolated in sweden because sweden is incredibly segregated they just don't want you to live in their neighborhood mm -hmm. it's it's not a they want your skin color and they want to look like they're next to it or something but they don't want you to live as their neighbor you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't Swedes. think sweden i don't think sweden is multicultural at all it's segregated no. culture because i've lived in australia it's very different it is very different i mean there are parts that are quite segregated but there is more multiculturalism maybe the language but there are people who don't speak english oh, as all the well. white australians have been thrown out of sydney it's completely chinese today yeah i mean yes i did hong kong last year and all moved to sydney which i love though i haven't lived in australia for a while but yeah no i i do like that about like australia and the uk some aspects that it's more multicultured than sweden is absolutely than sweden is and that that really bothered me because when i came here and then you're like you know people who don't speak swedish like well, you know the language you know britain and, and australia were part of the british empire for hundreds of years mm -hmm. so multiculturalism was already part of that yeah because to have multiculturalism genuinely you need trade you need trade routes I personally have lived in Istanbul the last few years. When I get enough of Stockholm and everything being the same in Stockholm, very monochrome, I just go to Istanbul and I just love it. It's it's a truly multicultural world capital. You know, that's what it is. It's the, it's the Mexico city of Europe, as I call it. I love it. But that's just to get out of Sweden when I get too bored with this. But I think the at the end of the day, I'm all for cosmopolitanism. I even preach it in my philosophy. I totally agree with your values. But it won't work in a society where like 80% of the population are left rootless without a narrative. And that's exactly when you get the real problem. We, you eventually lead the country into civil war. 
That's what's going to happen unless we stop the current trends. And that's very that's a deep concern I have about Sweden today. It really is. It's going to go more and more violent, and it's going to get worse because the Swedes haven't realized what they've created. They were not part of an empire. They pretended they were. They pretended multiculturalism was just an ideological conviction, and it di- didn't, they didn't need to follow up their multicultural convictions with action. Mm-hmm. They don't live it. They, they didn't have a they plan. They certainly don't live it. They'd rather, Stockholm, I live in central Stockholm myself. It's now being built with all the bike ways and you know, all the things and these, you know, the pop-up projects and everything. It's built to basically get the immigrant kids from the, from the suburbs out of the city have even less of them you know it's, it's just it's just horrendous what the environmentalists have done with stockholm it's become a much more segregated city under their rule mm. and, and you know you know we're not supposed to have cars for example in stockholm any longer what bicycles are the luxury item today and just getting a fucking car and drive around your family or kids is exactly what people do in the suburbs yeah mm. so the hatred towards the car is directed directly against the very immigrants who arrived in this country mm. it's a racist policy mm. that's what it that's is a, that's and a they, very interesting used to see that but you, like you, I'm curious. I go to fucking Borbay. I, I eat Afghan food. You know, I, I, I'm a totally multicultural person obsessed with it. And I live that life and I enjoy it. And that's why I talk to all these people. I talk to all the fucking cab drivers. And then when you get the worldview, really that's the official worldview you get of Sweden is incorrect. Right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. I was, I was really, really surprised because I guess whenever I jump into an Uber, wherever I am, everybody's like, oh, where are you from? And then I end up talking to them. And, and they were like, even in Tanzania, I was, this is Tanzania, this is my home country, I was born, whatnot, similar things, very segregated, very segregated, the blacks don't talk to the Indians, the Indians don't talk to the Arabs, and none of them talk to each other, mm. and you just have these three massive groups that have a Tanzanian nationality, so very similar to Swedish, but they've never spoken to each other, they do not care about each other, they don't, they don't know what affects each other as well. Mm. They're just so segregated, whatever is like Indian-based, so I guess it would be very similar in Sweden, where, you know, where, whatever is an immigrant issue doesn't transcend to be like, where is that bridge? Where are we creating that bridge? Because I feel like Sweden has brought in, or I would say imported, I know we talked, imported a lot of immigrants, but they have no idea how to work with them. There's no middle ground. Mm. And either it's like, oh, let's succumb to this Islamist ideology. Or you know what like they did? They imported two million people to this country and thought they'd all become obedient social democrats. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, seriously. Yeah. It's like one million Muslims now. Yeah. I thought, what did they think? I think they what highlight- were they thinking? They were so fucking megalomaniac that we all wanted to be fucking Olaf Palme if they came here or something like that. It's mm. just, it's just hysterical. Isn't it part of like being it's racist? It's not multicultural. It's like our culture is so fucking fantastic so people who move here will automatically become us. Isn't mm. that a bit of racist mm. as well? Where you yes, just assume that those people are going to come Swedes in. Swedes think they're totally superior to everybody else. I hate it, but the Swedes go on about themselves being a morally superior kind of superpower, which the rest of the world laughs at. Mm. You know, when a Swedish ambassador to Africa has to go around to African tribal warlords and teach them about Swedish feminism, he knows he's going to be <laughs> laughed at as soon as he opens his mouth and embarrassed and then ask for alcohol and drugs or whatever just to get drunk and then go back to the embassy and basically report a lie back to Stockholm like I told them about Swedish feminism they were interested when in reality not a single person in the world outside of Sweden no. is interested mm-hmm. Swedes are complete and this is why I talk about the Mishunsus and the Nikteritslos this goes back to Sweden's own fundamentalism this goes back to Sweden's own religious hysteria 
And it was in Protestant Christianity in the 19th century. And it was in heritage political ideal in the 20th century. And they've gone completely bonkers over the last 20 years. Mm. You know, you and I have talked about it before, Louis, like LGBT. Mm. LGBT should be a global movement for rights for LGBT people. Right. I, I broke with LGBT movement as a bisexual in 2014 after I gave my speech at Europride. Because I said, if you don't go global now when you've succeeded in Sweden, you're rotten assholes. But they wouldn't go global. No. They wouldn't care about Iran. No. They wouldn't care about Uganda. They cared about their own fat girlfriends who were around, called themselves queer people, and yeah. they wanted to do sex changes without having even understood what that means. It's gone completely abs absurd, and that's because they made LGBT, they turned it into LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. Just like classical feminism was fantastic, but when it achieved its objectives, and women were equal with men, and we started enjoying that, they went radical feminist, which is like, oh, that's not enough. We're going to revenge you for 3,000 years of patriarchy. So we're mm. going to hate mm. men and we're going to make it the state. How do y'all do this? I think the rest of the world thinks this is insane. Speaking, speaking of that, Ebba Bush, who is the leader of the, the, Chris, Chris, the Christian Democratic Party in Sweden, she uh, a video of her went viral from 2016 when she was talking about uh, family. And she said that I believe, she said, no harm against any LGBTQ families. And I am attending pride but i believe that a family should be a mother and a father i don't perceive that as homophobic i see that as traditional yeah but uh quite biological to be honest biological as well and, and then gay people should have two dads and two moms have bigger families <laughs> but the point is after Bladet then wrote an, an article about it uh saying that uh, um ban Eva bush from pride for what she said in 2016 so they want to ban her from attending pride this year and that comes to show that this ideology and they call her like a, a homophobe who is homophobic Ebba Bush and I'm saying that's you not homophobia yeah, you yeah. don't know and what I'm homophobia saying, is you're bringing <laughs> in extreme radical homophobia that throws gay people from the roof. Ebba Bush has a whole army of gay stylists around her what the fuck are they talking about exactly that's it's not wonderful. homophobia but this is the thing do you realize now my point is this while we talk about religion here this is also religious this is just as crazy as Islamism this is just as nuts. This is against the very fabric of society. This is against loving your children when they grow up. This is against trying to understand the stranger and trade with the stranger instead of killing the stranger. What we call civilization. Okay, so civilization, I agree with you, Zara. It, it, it's, it's about fighting the extremisms. And the extremisms are the ones that actually are fundamentally anti-civilizational. Mm. They're just pro one group. And it's often a group that has some kind of a vengeance going on. So it's really preparing for lynch mob and nothing else. It doesn't build society constructive at all. And my point is that the only theories I'm interested in, ideologies or religions, are the ones that are heroic. How do you make people stronger in a society? That's what religions should do. That's the religion I'm pro, right? Mm -hmm. If it makes society stronger, the fabric stronger, if it makes it possible for you to contain more ideas than you did before, to tolerate more than you did before, strong strength right it's the weak it's the worship of weakness that i hate about world culture but you see, it is I, the worship I, of weakness i disagree the victim i disagree with that because I, if you're going to go from um, a religion being strong and being uh, and thrive then islam is the greatest no it is no, no but, but he you built on compensation behaviors all the way through right but then you could have the that's the, not strength but the, but you could have the muslims who say that uh, have you forgotten about the golden islamic age where, yeah. where, where the... <laughs> but you like know what? You know what? I don't mind that Islam because that Islam is the one we're trying to look for right now. Because when I say reformed Islam, and hey, I work in Qatar, right? I work with Muslims to see what we can do. They've hired, of course, their biggest enemies. That's what smart Muslims do today. Mm -hmm. Because the smart ones realize that we're one and a half billion right now on the planet. Mm 
and we need to reform Islam quickly, or otherwise our own freedom will be gone and out the door, right? Mm -hmm. These are the people that rape parties in Saudi Arabia right now. These are the girls in Egypt that throw off the hijab right now on YouTube and says, my grandmother didn't wear this, I'm not going to wear it, right? So there is already a sentiment in the Middle East which is very anti-Islamic, like I'm proud to be Muslim, but I'm never going to go Islamist ever again. Mm. Okay, that's the, we have to tap into that. Mm. That's also the gay-friendly Islam potentially in the next generation. Mm. Th that has to be done because otherwise what are you going to do with 1.5 billion people normally are Muslims? Mm. You can't make Islam go away. No, you've got to work with it. And that's exactly why I say I don't mind the story about the golden age of Islam because then Islam wasn't as ferocious as it is now. Mm. It was much weaker but tolerated and therefore it prospered. Mm. That was the Islam of the trade routes. Mm. Fine with that. But doctrinal centralized Islam with the mullah at the top who dictates every part of your life and kills gay people? Don't want that ever again. Islamic mm. State, are you kidding? Mm. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, the climate hysterics in Europe, especially the German ones, the radical feminists right now, they wouldn't mind having the equivalent of the Islamic State either. They wouldn't. Mm. If no, they fail at what they try to do right now, that's where they're going to go next. Believe me. But I'm not sure because of, I'm not sure they're aware of it because all you of their freedoms. You think freedom the Islamists were aware before they created the Islamic State? <laughs> these are these are not intelligent people. Mm. These are people who just hear a word like Ebba Bush said something, and because she said it, I should react in a certain way, so I react. Mm. That's just stupidity. Right. Calling Ebba Bush a homophobe is absolute stupidity. Mm. It's but, vigilante behavior as well, but that's how they thrive. That's how they, when they manipulate you know, words from social media or whatnot. It's how that group thrives, the victim, the victim mindset as well. Mm. And they're like, oh, that's what she said. We're, we're by definition victims. So we're going to act as, you know, vigilantes and outcast her. Mm. And I think we should really have you on for like the next, uh, like in, uh, the future episodes as I well. I love you guys. I love being here. Yeah, we, we, should, like, I, we should really talk about like, what is like a reformed Islam Islamism and what are those ideas because I feel like there's so much nuance mm. and there's so much learning because I feel like we can't really put somebody as like and we, we got to go to the bottom of Hinduism and the way they teach <laughs> it which is absolutely unacceptable oh it um, oh yeah I mean right now with India and whatnot um it is it is it is hard to kind of like maintain that neutral position and it's so hard to talk to different groups like the Muslims I know and because well. I belong to a religious minority in India they're all terrified of what's going on yeah so yeah, yeah it's yes. it's crazy like I wish we could just live in the world like you do you I'm a bit bothered when you can't allow your daughter to ride a bike but let's talk about it versus I'm going to kill you because oh you're God, I love <laughs> girls on bikes I don't <laughs> I, I don't know you'll be worried I am bisexual <laughs> <laughs>